And welcome to another episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week, Will Nevin, my co-host, and I read three stories, decide how good they are, and put them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. This is me trying a slightly different opening and realizing I think I'm going to go back to the original version next week. But for now, Will, how are you? Wait, 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 wait. Slightly different? You know, I've sat through like... I don't know, 20 plus of these. And uh, I didn't notice any difference there. What what was the big change? I, just a few words. I didn't have the script up in front of me, started to run with it. And was like, wait, no, no, that's not exactly the exact one I read every, every time. It's been a long week and a half. And ah. I'm, you know, work has been crazy. A lot of stuff going on. But talking Batman is always a good thing. All right, some uh, some notes for the the next script for the opening. Remember, Clown Prince of Podcasting. Clown that's, Prince. That's of the intro. That's that's what I'm fucking here for. You bring the knowledge, I bring the stupid shit. So that's what I do. But yeah, I'm 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 having a good week. I uh, I was kind of struggling for uh, what to do with my uh, my bit hole tonight, but you, the Lord provided. The <laughs> Lord provided, uh, and I will say because uh, we're going to get to this in like an hour. I came into this week not knowing, you know, how I would feel about Damian Wayne, where, whether my, my thoughts would change, because I have always figured him to be, as I've said before, Wesley Crusher with a bad attitude. Uh, I don't like him. I don't care for him. And uh, this week did not change that. And if, uh, if anything else, I hate him even fucking more. So, uh, so I look forward to uh, shitting on that little turd in this episode. And uh, let me state for the record, if you're out there listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I like Damian Wayne. Ho, ho, ho. I think he's a great character. Fuck you. Fuck you. All right. And if you got a problem with that, come at me. And you know what? I'm still going to say fuck you because he fucking sucks out loud. Unless you're a Patreon backer, in which case we will pleasantly listen to you, and then Will will say fuck you. He'll, he'll still listen, but but you just have to, you got to back us to explain why you like Damien before Will tells you to fuck off. Yeah, yeah, and um, if you uh, if you support the Patreon, maybe I'll I'll do it slightly nicer, but uh, ain't nothing gonna change my point of view. Uh, I mean, this we went to the basic source material for Damian Wayne. Uh, you know, last week was Son of the Demon. This week was, you know, dropping in an old bats with, hey, you got a kid. And uh, he still fucking sucks. From start to finish, he is shit. And uh, again, I look forward to, uh, to getting into that tonight. We will, but we've got a couple to hit first because we've already done a whole episode focused on the first Robin, Dick Grayson. So this Dick. week... <laughs> This week, we're going to be doing three stories with early adventures of the three next three Robins. Well, the next three boy Robins, because Stephanie Brown's in there, too. But Stephanie only had a very limited time as Robin. There's fewer stories. Hey, 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 hey. That's some Carrie Kelly erasure right there. In continuity, Robins. In (laughs) continuity, Robins. I wanted to make sure I wasn't forgetting Stephanie either. But the whole Stephanie thing is confusing, and I rather prefer her as Batgirl in, in all fairness. We'll someday get to the, the uh, Stephanie Brown Batgirl series and 
that's that that series rocks but we'll, we'll hit that someday carrie kelly might be the only thing worth taking from the miller verse yeah yeah i mean even they, they gave superman and wonder woman a daughter in strikes again and eh. was she even in strikes again or did she not show up to, no she was in strike i was thinking if she read Shut up and master, first and master race. But no, she's in Strikes Again, too. Uh, the less I have to think about that stuff, the better. The less <laughs> I have to think about that, that, oh, that, that stuff is just, it's, it's just such a mess. But, but Robbins, we are, we are talking Robbins. The first story we're going to be talking tonight is the post crisis origin of Jason Todd. This is two connected two part stories from Batman Volume 1, numbers 408 to 411. The writer is Max Allen Collins. The pencils on the first issue, 408, is Chris Warner. On 409 is Russ Andrew. And on 410 to 411 is Dave Cockrum. The inks are by Mike DiCarlo on 408 and 410, Dick Giordano on 409, and Don Heck on 411. The colors in all of them are by Adrian Roy. The letters on 408 and 410 are Todd Klein. On 409 and a little bit on 410 is John Costanza. And on 411 is Augustin Moss. Edited all five, Denny O'Neill. And the cover dates are June to September of 1987. The de facto title I gave to these sort of says it all. This is the post-crisis origin of Jason Todd, a vast departure from his pre-crisis Dick Grayson knockoff origin that makes him the street kid who... Batman brings in and sets the stage for Jason's unfortunate downfall. Now, you recently, relatively recently, interviewed Collins, didn't you, Will? I did, yeah. Um, you know, in this glamorous life of, uh, life of ours at Comics XF, you know, sometimes we get PR pitches that come in. And, you know, I knew of Collins through Road to Perdition mostly. And he put out a, um, a prose book and, you know, we got in a pitch from, uh, from his people. And I was like, well, shit, I ain't got nothing better to do. Let me read this little, uh, you know, Max Allen Collins novella and interview him about it. Let's see. Uh, Fancy Anders goes to war. That seems like that was the, the name of the book. Uh, Matt is giving me like a, like a maybe not. I think so. Yeah, that's it's something like that. But yeah, I read it and I had a good time with it. And then he did a book with Dave Thomas that was a lot of fun. And I interviewed Dave Thomas for that. And uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's got tons and tons of cred in the prose world for, for writing mysteries. And I will say this, you know, we, we can certainly pick apart the details here. But uh, this is a pretty well-written Batman. Collins knows his shit. Absolutely. I would also recommend out there, if you haven't, his Ms. Tree. It's a PI comic. It was an indie and that eventually was published uh, as a some quarterlies were done through DC in that same era as the post-crisis Huntress and the Mature Reader's Green Arrow and Mature Reader's Question. And he was also the writer on the Dick Tracy newspaper strip for many, many years, which is, is fascinating. 
Uh, I will also say that he's got an else world that we might have to put on the list. Scar of the Bat. Yes, boy, I'd forgotten about that one. That's a good one. Collected in Elseworlds Batman Volume 3. Uh, yeah, on this this actual story, this is one of these things that now is sort of entrenched in our knowledge of Jason Todd. When people think about Jason Todd, it's he's the kid who stole the tires off the Batmobile, which is honestly a great introduction and a great little origin for this character. What people tend to forget is that Jason's original origin in the pre-crisis continuity is he was the son of circus performers whose parents were killed by Killer Croc, who was the mob leader of Gotham at that time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for, uh, for your Robin, right, you want some separation. You want some, you want some difference. And, and we'll get into this when we get to, uh, to your favorite Robin story. I loved uh, in that piece how they introduced a new costume. Like that, I think that was a necessity at that point, not only to, to modernize it, but to put some distance between this Robin and the Robins who had come before. But yeah, I, I don't know what DC was thinking at the time to introduce this new Robin and give him the same backstory as the previous Robin. But he had red hair. That was where oh, you could tell the difference. He had red oh, hair. Oh well, gee, that fucking changes everything, Maddie Lasers. That's 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 that changes my whole understanding of this this pre-crisis character. Yeah, it, it was an. I'm sure I, ha- I would have to go out and read what Jerry Conway had to say. It was Jerry Conway who introduced Jason, but I know that it was editorially driven that they felt like he needed a young Robin again. But I'm not sure how the idea was just like, hey, let's just rehash the origin, only we're going to use this new villain with a more Batman villain vibe than mobster to be the guy behind it. And this was back when Croc wasn't the horrible mutated crocodile man, but was just a guy with really weird lizard skin. Yeah, um, Man, you can go in some weird directions with Croc, like Jeff Lemire did. But you know what? That's that's a different episode. A different episode. Yeah, you know, we talked about this in the uh, in the Dick episode, uh, the Dick episode. Robin is such a hard character to do in a modern book because he, you know, in most of these iterations, he's a child. He's a child on the front lines of Batman's war on crime. And you know, we see this in the Jason Todd Memorial, like the inscription there is he was a good soldier. That's fucked up. That's really, really, really fucked up. And, and I think, as I said back then um, in that episode, when we we're talking about Damian Wayne, or this might have been the, um, the print version, but you had to have some kind of modern iteration of, of Robin that wasn't a child. Right. So that's why you introduce Damian Wayne, who is almost a supernatural killer. And that kind of makes it okay that he's just a little pint sized little shit fighting with Batman. But the other Robins don't have that that storyline advantage. So it's do you have a Robin as a child and having this awkwardness of fighting with Batman? Or is he an adult or a teen? And at that point, why does Batman need a Robin? And through all of these stories, what what 
purpose does Robin serve? And so many times it just seems to be emotional support for Batman. And at that point, what the fuck is he doing there? This story gives us at least some grounding of why Jason needed this because he was going down a bad path. It's also, he looks real young in this story. The way he's drawn, he's drawn real young. And that's a little weird because he's clearly drawn older when Jim Aparo comes on right before his death. Not a lot older, but that Jason's 15 or 16. And there's no more. Jason is Robin for no more than a year in continuity before he dies. So he's supposed to be a mid-teenager. But I think that was conceived of because of the child endangerment. And even by the late 80s, I mean, we're in the mid 80s here, even two or three years later, they kind of had to age him up, especially if they were going to kill him brutally. Brutally killing a 10 year old is hard. Brutally killing a 16 year old is still hard, but it's not quite as brutal as a 10 year old. So, yeah, I haven't done much, uh, much research into this, but you said like this is from 87. When do the readers kill him off? Death in the family is 428. So it's only about two years from that, less than two years. Jason goes downhill real fast. They start writing him as an irredeemable psycho pretty quickly. Do you think that leads to sort of the popular... I don't know, ire at the at the character, or is it he's not Dick? Or I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I don't think Jason ever quite reached the heights that Dick or later Tim Drake would. I think making him this punk kid didn't help. And what's interesting is he wasn't always, I mean, he was. We've seen it in the Mike Barr detectives. He was just a Dick Grayson clone until these stories. And frankly, since I read a lot of this stuff from this period out of order, since it was, you know, shortly before I came into comics and I would read this stuff when I would find these back issues, I'm not sure of how obvious that evolution was. I know the couple of issues directly before a death in the family, Jason is right on the the line between being Robin and being the Red Hood. He maybe kills a guy, maybe doesn't. You're never entirely sure. Now, granted, the guy had it coming. Like He, he had was, it coming. Yep. He had it coming. He only had himself to blame. We'll read that. Those two issues, they're technically one-offs, but they're linked one-offs. So we'll probably read them as one story. But it, it's, it's got some Lethal Weapon 2 to it with a guy with diplomatic immunity doing horrible It's things. just been revoked. <laughs> Not to spoil it, but it's, it's a pretty common, well-known story. The guy, he's, an abuse, he's abusing his girlfriend. And in the end, towards the end of the story, she kills herself to get away from him. And Jason, Oof. who'd promised to protect her, goes after him and as Bruce comes by the guy falls off a balcony and Jason's just like he tripped and you're never sure 
what happened, whether Jason pushed him, whether Jason actively scared him while he was close enough to the balcony that he would trip and fall or whether he just did trip and fall. But and didn't save him. Right. But that's right on the edge of a death in the family. So you've got Jason by that point is really leaning into being this this character, this dark kind of crazy character, which we see flashes of here. We see flashes of Jason having more of an edge than Dick or Bruce would. I mean, we, uh, we, we, sorry to interrupt, but one of these days we should, uh, we should do a, a Jason Todd episode. Last Crusade, maybe Death in the Family, and uh, maybe that original origin story. I, I have one with those two. With, yes, we, I, I have dubbed this episode in my head, Two Deaths and a Really Good Day for Jason Todd. <laughs> it's Death in the Family, Last Crusade, and... For the man who has everything, the first time Jason meets Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman all together, it's the legendary Alan Moore Superman annual that also has Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman in it. And Jason winds up helping to save the the grown-up heroes. So I figured that it would be nice after reading two stories where Jason Todd dies, we have one where he has a really good day. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that episode, uh, something to look forward to uh, probably next year uh, <laughs> when, yeah. when we get around to it. Uh, by, by the way, before we actually get this get this show out of the ditch, correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Matt, but we have episodes planned through April. Is that correct? Yes, I believe we have recordings through March, meaning we have, we are, we have scheduled through the first week of April. Nah. Matt Lazerwitz, uh, the uh, the Batman of, pot, of podcast planning. <laughs> anyway, yes. anyway, back, back to the back to this. Stories. Collins does a good job of making Jason a tough kid and a kid who has issues without making him an irredeemable psycho. This is a kid who's come up hard, and Collins gives him a reason for being as rough around the edges as he is. This is a kid whose father abandoned him, whose mother died of an OD, and who's been living by himself, taking care of himself. As we find out, the father didn't so much abandon him as get whacked by Two-Face, but still... He got double whacked by (laughs) Two-Face. Yeah, we're still in the with the two face who's really, really into the number two here. Oh, jeez! I felt like there was going to be like a dump truck of manure coming through this book <laughs> at some point. Aha, number two. Aha. It's also interesting to see Collins really going out of his way to make Bruce Wayne the social crusading do-gooder. There's a lot about how Bruce is giving to charity and doing his best to be good to Gotham as Bruce Wayne as much as Batman. Yeah, and he goes out of his way to be kind and decent to Jason, right? Like Batman knows that 
Two-Face killed Willis Todd. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell the kid because I know that that's going to fuck him up. Maybe I'll tell him at some point. Maybe I'll, I'll try to be there to help him through it. But I know what that pain is like. And I don't want to inflict on the kid, you know, maybe unnecessarily. This is still before the Frank Miller version of Batman has so permeated the character that Batman is the harsh taskmaster all the time. He still isn't a couple years later when we get to the Tim Drake story. He's harder, but he's still not as hard as he would be a couple years after that. It's nice. I This is a Batman who still is striking the balance between the Dark Knight and the duly deputized officer of the law of 66. He's still not quite as brutal as he would be. This is a fun story in a lot of places. There's... Oh, yeah. My gun is a hoot. My gun's great. And they... Oh, boy. In the New 52, they bring her back and she's not Australian anymore, but she's still the same basic character, but they do some other weird stuff with the character, making her Jason's biological grandmother, which is why she took an interest in it. And it's, it's a lot of awkwardness. I prefer her just being the Fagan of crime alley with an Australian accent. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't mess with a good thing. Jeez. Uh, good day. I'm uh, I'm I'm gra- I'm Granny Ma Gun. I'm uh, I'm here to uh, teach these hoodlums how to crime better and correct grammar. <laughs> I love the constant correcting of grammar. It's a great touch. Okay. All right. All right. I I definitely wanted to drive the show into the ditch at this point when we started to talk about Ma Gun. I want to hear your grammar pet peeves. Oh boy. In writing or in speech. Mm. Both. And, well, and I'll, I'll start, I'll start with a couple of them. Okay. Um, one entitled is not a verb. Books, films, etc., are not entitled. They are simply titled. You are entitled to rights. You're entitled to your possessions, your stupid fucking opinions, but books, movies, everything else, they just have fucking titles. Second, utilize is synonymous with use just go with use use i used it i did not utilize it those are the ones that irk the shit out of me okay i I got i I can come up with two uh this one i guess is more vocabulary than grammar but the there is a difference between ancestor and descendant use them correctly the number of times <laughs> i see people say you know i'm trying to think of a decent example bruce wayne the ancestor of thomas wayne no descendant uh, no descendant. no he's, he's he's progeny yes uh, that, that works yeah. too but usually it's it's with generations but they'll say ancestor it's like no no, no no ancestor means someone from before you in the line descendant is after the other and i can accept a lot of colloquial uses of words you can say ain't i'm fine with that i live near philadelphia the eponymous not eponymous the the ubiquitous 
John is this Philadelphia slang word that is sort of this generic word. Okay, fine, whatever. Irregardless is oh, not a word. Oh, no, 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 no. It is definitely not a word. It, it is the double, ne- it's, it's almost a double negative. And, and frankly, I can even tolerate double negatives for emphasis. But irregardless, not a word. Uh, I'm going to start some uh, some comic book parody series. It's a parody of uh, Irredeemable. I'm call it Irregardless. <laughs> it's a it's a parody of uh, of I guess you wouldn't call that. It wasn't satire. It was Mark Wade writing without a license. Yeah, I'll figure that out. But yeah, <laughs> Will Nevins, Irregardless. I, I would read that book. Back to the the comic. I will also say. Cameo by the Joker worked at the beginning of this. Again, this is before the Joker was instrumental in every terrible thing that ever happened to Bruce Wayne after the murder of his parents. So it was it was okay to see him there being sort of the thing that caused Bruce to say Dick needed to step back. Not that he did. Dick just went off to New York and led the Teen Titans. But, you know, whatevs. I mean, that that was what was going on at the time. So Dick was off running with the Titans. I, I also like that Jason smokes when we first see him. It's like, wow. You could oh, he's not, a tough kid. Uh, I mean, maybe likes isn't the right word, but it's like you could. That is so late 80s. You could not do that today. Oh, they were. they. Everybody who wrote this book smoked at, the, at like constantly. We also have Vicki Vale in here. And this is right in the prime time of that character. While Vicky was introduced in the 50s and she showed up a little bit in the 50s and the 60s, she was a major Batman supporting character for about a decade from the early 80s to the early 90s. So this is right in the heart of that period. She'll actually show up in the next story, too. Again, that's that's more towards the tail end of her time as a regular Bat supporting character. She's a, an interesting character, but in all fairness, suffers in comparison to Lois Lane. And you're going to have the female journalist. Frankly, they all suffer in comparison to Lois Lane because Lois is the best. Someday, I really want a Batman and Lois Lane story or two. There's a couple where they have to team up, but I really want some... some... Come on, Greg Rucky, you did that one two-parter Jeff Loeb, Loeb did the Superman half and you did the Detective Comics half. But you could definitely do a, a Lois Lane Batman miniseries. And I would read the hell out of that book because your Lois Lane miniseries rocked. And I know you absolutely have to listen, be listening to this show. So I'll speak to you directly. Uh, uh, Greg Rucka, if you are listening to this, uh, come on. Like, we'll, we'll just have you on the show. You don't even have to back the Patreon. Um, we, we would like that you would, um, you know, I might come to your house if you do, but you know, we would appreciate it, but we'd certainly have you on. We, we could, we could rearrange the schedule a little bit for, for, for you. For, for, yeah. For, for Greg Rucka, I think, I think we could, but yeah, we, we, we've talked a lot. We haven't really hit a lot of the story. We, we've talked about, there's a lot of like weird little bits. Like I like when, Batman shows up on Crime Alley, not on the anniversary of his parents' death to, you know, throw off the, the criminals who just expect him to be there that one day. The, the kid comes down from the college to buy drugs and he's wearing a bow tie. It's like, oh, oh, kid, you're, you're, 
Wow. The yeah, artist. that was that was the thing that I noticed. And this is why in other like forms of media, we typically see Bruce making this pilgrimage. Because you think the people in Gotham could put two and two together. Uh, all right, uh, this is, you know, June, whatever, or, you know, July, whenever, uh, December, whenever. What happened on this day? Like, why does Batman keep coming to this place on this day? Oh, that's when the that's when the Waynes were killed. Huh? I wonder why Batman has such an interest in Thomas and Martha Wayne. Huh. Weird. We will read the story where that trope originated. It is Batman going to Crime Alley at that point. But we will read eventually There Is No Hope in Crime Alley, which is also the first appearance of Leslie Tompkins at some point when we do the Leslie Tompkins episode, which I'm really looking forward to because that is a favorite character of mine. But we'll talk about her when we get there or when we get to the issue with her and Jason Todd. This is another great story. My beginning and my probable end. But again, we'll get there. I'm, I'm wandering. We're, we're really wandering. And I feel bad because we usually wander like this when there isn't a lot to talk about. And there is a good amount to talk about here. These stories are very straightforward. Mm-hmm. They're very much, they're a they're little bit of, you know, a Two-Face caper, Ma Gun caper, Jason's becoming Robin, he's learning, he's training, he's got some anger issues, we can see, but he's not as far gone as the Jason that we'll eventually see. There is a great bit where Jim Gordon and Alfred go to a baseball game together, which, again, there's a series of stories I would read, the Jim Gordon-Alfred adventures. I'd love to see them off on an adventure together. And that was the, the, the baseball game was one instance of, okay, we fucking get the, the, the two obsession. Because like, there's literally one panel that's like, oh, it's the second inning. There are two balls, two strikes, two men out, two men on base. We fucking get it. And I like that when Two-Face is fleeing across the baseball diamond, he has to slide into second. You do realize that sliding into a base actually will slow you up. The whole point of sliding is that you're there, and once you've touched the bag, you don't have to get up right away. If you have to get up afterwards, that's taking time, Harv. You're, you're, uh, he should have just he should have just taken second base he should have picked it up and run off with it yes yeah you're, you're stealing something else he's also harvey's ruthless in this story he's shooting oh he, he just shoots right. motherfuckers i also do like that he goes up when he's robbing the bank he walks up to the teller and the teller is asking him you know what well, do you want to make a deposit or withdrawal looking right at him you have to know that this guy is a wanted felon this guy is well-known wanted felon dressed like a clown he's famous for being scarred you can see that you're not dealing with a normal person you should show a little bit more concern there a little bit i will say i mean and again continuity is a crutch that is often can often be used uh Collins makes a couple of little flubs of continuity, which are fine because it's, he doesn't have to depend on it. And because we are post-crisis, that's a little bit iffy. But he says that the Wayne fortune was based on munitions and it wasn't the Wayne fortune. Yeah, I caught that. And I was like, should I tweet about this or not? And I decided not to. I also caught 
the coin as yep. belonging to uh, the gangster there and not Harv. Uh, that was that's a, a little weird. That's pre-crisis. That oh. was the pre-crisis origin of the coin. They, they made it Harvey's father's coin with the post-crisis origin of Two-Face. Uh, and also they say that the giant penny was a Two-Face trophy. It's not. That was the, the penny plunderer, a, a late golden age villain. Although and, the- and it's a penny and not a silver dollar. So like, come on, get the fuck, get that together. They do actually use the penny as a two-faced prop in Batman the Animated Series in the wonderful episode Almost Got Him. Because you're not going to use the penny plunderer in the Batman the Animated Series, despite him truly being Batman's greatest foe up there with the Condiment King. And Kite Man. Oh, hell yeah. Hell Hell yeah. yeah. I will also say one of those kind of late 80s cringy moments uh, when Two-Face is is robbing the casino. The marquee outside the casino is Mugu Guy Schwartz and the Fortune Cookies. Oh, yeah. I noticed that. That's not good. (laughs) Not good, Max. Nope. Oh, that one might be the that one might be on the artist. That that might be. okay. Design. That's a good point. That could be Dave Cockrum, or it could be the letterer. Uh, or it could the, be Max being a real, a real weirdo. It could. This by is the, what I want the marquee to say. God damn it! <laughs> and, and by the way, for those out there who wonder, the Wayne Fortune is based on shipping and manufacturing, not munitions. That's the Starks. T- Tony Stark is the munitions magnate. Bruce, the Wayne Enterprises comes from manufacturing and shipping. But occasionally they go kind of sideways. They they dabble. I remember wasn't that wasn't that a, a point in uh, in rises like this this the the microwave weapon was you oh, know from w- yes there are time times where Wayne will be involved in the manufacture of weapons, but it's usually non lethal ordnance and is usually basically Bruce doing it overbidding so the government can actually afford it and then just co-opting the prototypes for Batman manufacture, which is why it's usually non-lethal ordinance. Am, am I remember rising? Am I remembering rising? No, there was some microwave. Batman begins because they use right, it to spread right. the, the, the scarecrow toxin. And that that's was right. when uh, Rucker Hauer was in charge and it shifted most things towards weapons manufacture. Wayne Industries has, but Bruce almost always is against weapons manufacture. There's a great Superman, Batman, the animated series crossover where LexCorp and Wayne Enterprises are working together on a project. And it was a a robot that was designed for exploration. But Luthor, of course, has co-opted it for military use. And Bruce like, not going to happen. I have final say on this and not going to happen, Lex. I know we have to put a bow on this story, but I've got, I've got one final question. What do you think about Batman teaching Robin how to shoot? I'm never sure how I feel about that whole thing. Cause it's often, there's lots of images of, you know, Batman training with a gun, though he will never use one. And, and they say that on the page here. It's like, uh, Batman teaches you know Robin how to use a gun, even though he would never want to use a gun. But he he must be schooled in the the you know the whatever. I just I can't, I'm more comfortable with Bruce having learned how to do it than him, especially teaching a 
like a kid who's clearly trying to be like 10 years old to use a gun. That might be something that, yeah, Bruce would eventually have to show a Robin, but not until they're older than introduction, you know, intro level Robin. I don't feel like that's uh, Robin 101. Here's how to use a gun. Now, don't do it. Don't. It's like, uh, okay, son, you got your driver's license. Let's go out back of the Batcave and uh, fire off uh, his here pistol for a bit. Yeah. It's it's something I, I'm not too comfortable with, but agreed. Uh, but yeah, so I think we we've hit the the points on this story. That means it's time to put this post crisis Jason Todd origin story on the board. Okay, we are currently at sixty three stories on our big list. Number one is Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers four hundred four to four hundred seven. Number twenty five is Half an Evil from Batman Volume 1, number 234. Another Two-Face story, if I may. Number 50 is Demons, a Rachel Ghoul Demon Etrigan story from Batman Adventures Annual number 2. And number 63, the bottom of the list is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. I can't wait until the one blessed episode and, and, and it's coming up, right? It's going to be next week where that shitty book will be number 69. It, it will hit that, that number next week. And, and for one brief shining moment, I will not hate it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I'm uh, next. Yeah. Nothing next week is going to go below Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves and nothing this week will well, either. Uh, we, we might do this show for like another hundred episodes and not want to put something below that. Uh, okay. But anyway, so um, let's start with right now. Number 29 is Batman year three, the post-crisis retelling of Dick Grayson's origin. There's more to that story, especially with the back and forth between the present and the past and Bruce dealing with Jason's death and Alfred and Dick dealing with Jason's death and bringing in the entirety of the Gotham, you know, mob. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd say probably that had more meat on it, but it was also more of an unwieldy story. That is true. Now, right above that is fear for sale, which is another story with a lot of Jason Todd in. That's the Scarecrow and the one that ends with Bruce's greatest fear being the death of Jason uh, Todd. Oh, 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 Bruce. Oh, sorry. I, I think that's the general area we're looking at, though. Because that's those are solid stories that don't have a ton of flash to them, but tell a really good story. Yeah, something that's solid, but ultimately not not all that memorable. Yeah, this the memorable bits of this are Jason stealing the the tires off the Batmobile and being this tough kid, which is you know now become really cemented in the Batman mythos. But outside of that, that's what you remember from this story. I think there's probably more here than Secret of the Waiting Graves at thirty one. Yes. And I think probably more than that Robin annual. 
So does this split the two origins of Dick Grayson? Or does this go above year three and live in between year three and fear for sale? Mm, remind me about that annual a little bit at 30. It's the Dixon annual. It pretty much just expands the golden age origin, but it adds that Zuko runs the unions and has oh, the, yeah. uh, the ringmaster who gets eaten by the tigers. Tiger beat. Yeah, I'd be comfortable uh, splitting our Robin stories there. Yeah, I think this is the or the post crisis origin of Jason Todd is now in between two origins of Dick Grayson. Oh shit! And remind me, what book mentions irony, or did I make that up and read something else? Um, I don't remember that, but I might have. I might have missed it. Was that a misuse of irony? There's another one. I swear to God, I want to say it was, maybe it was Two-Face, like saying that, or somebody saying in reference to Two-Face that something was ironic. And I was like, nope, that's coincidence. (laughs) Yes. That's another one that is a a pet peeve. Okay. So. Our next story featuring our next Robin, in this case, my favorite Robin, Tim Drake, is Identity Crisis, but not the one you're thinking of. Not the Identity Crisis. Nope. This is Identity Crisis from Batman Volume 1, numbers 455 to 457. The writer is Alan Grant, with pencils by Norm Brayfogle and pencil assists on the first issue 455 by Kevin Brayfogle, inks by Steve Mitchell, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Denny O'Neill and Kelly Puckett. The cover dates are October to December of 1990. As Tim Drake struggles to convince Batman to let him go out as Robin in costume, a series of strange spree killers wearing skeleton masks attack in Gotham. Batman goes on the hunt for who's responsible for these killings, and Tim must decide if he should break Batman's edict to not go out onto the streets to save the Dark Knight's life. Okay, it's a Tim Drake story, so I'm going to admit a bias. But okay. I think this is a really good story. I think there's a lot here, and I think it shows a lot of what makes Tim a different Robin than Jason or Dick. Let me ask you this. In plotting and planning out this episode, you certainly picked three Robin origin stories. Why did you not go with the earlier tim drake origin story about how he how he deduces uh, who batman is i didn't pick a lonely place of dying which is that story because i want to use that one with a companion piece called the lonely place of living from the tiny and run i, I kind of want those i want those two stories together with another tim drake story ah, so i decided see, to go with see, see folks matt has a plan for everything There's a reason behind everything we do here, except the shit that I do, which is just (laughs) random chaos. But, you know, that's why we work so well together. Ordering chaos, baby. But yeah, A Lonely Place of Dying was a story I considered, but it's also a Two-Face story. So I kind of wanted to be like, all right, let's do a throw a Scarecrow one in here. I had considered doing Rite of Passage, 
the story that's referenced in here where Tim's parents are kidnapped by a Haitian terrorist. But Tim isn't. Seems a little cringy right there. It is. Oh, yeah. The Obia Man is not a comfortable villain. He's very stereotypical voodoo Vaudon priest thing. It does have a subplot that is great because it's Bruce trying to save Tim's parents while Tim is dealing with a hacker in Gotham, which sets up Tim's pretty much arch nemesis in that story, a character who will who'd already appeared fighting Batman once, but who would become a Robin nemesis after that anarchy. Uh, that that name's familiar, and I believe I saw him in one of these stories, right? When Tim is having this vision of Batman's rogues, and he's thinking about the different rogues, anarchy's one of them. I couldn't name it, but I was like, oh, that's the anarchy symbol. So it, must, it has something to do with it. Yeah. He was another creation of Grant and Brayfogle. So that's probably why he gets such a prominent image there. But he was another... He was a teenager who wore a costume to look like an adult to bring down Gotham society because society was shit. Kid's not completely off in a lot of reasons, but he was also a bit on the homicidal side. So that was problematic. But he was also another savant, which made him a really logical nemesis for Tim Drake. And I kind of said it there. The, The villain who winds up behind this is Scarecrow. So this is a Scarecrow story, which is an interesting choice for, maybe not an interesting choice, but it was set up well that Tim is dealing with his fears, with the recent loss of his mother, with whether or not he's good enough to be Robin. So putting Scarecrow in as the villain makes sense. When you're dealing with your own fears and insecurities, He's the way to go. And uh, this is also a Christmas story. Which is that I had forgotten that particular detail as I have not read this story in a very long time. But it, it's, yeah, it, it's a, an odd little Christmas story. It's one of those ones where it doesn't really matter that it's a Christmas story, but it is. And we can include a homicidal Santa Claus and uh, Scarecrow like being excited about possibly skinning Batman for a Christmas present. So a couple of things that uh, I liked, or at least one thing I liked in the story and one thing I observed. The thing that I liked in this story in comparison to the other two, the Robin costume here feels very earned. Like not only do we have like that, that, that shift that I talked about earlier, that, that, oh, here is a new costume for a new Robin, but it is also not just something that Batman just hands over. Like uh, when Jason comes along, he's like, oh, hey, here, here's the here's the Robin costume, bud. Let's go out and have a good time. Like it feels like a very purposeful choice. And Tim Drake is constantly making this choice. Shit. If I go out, you know, to, to play as Batman would call it, this hunch, if I go out and do this against his wishes, I'm I'm never gonna be Robin. I'm I'm never gonna be his partner. I am giving that up right now to do what I think is right. And so like there, there's some real consequences and emotion here. The thing I noticed in, uh, in Drake's sort of visions of, of Todd and, and Grayson coming to him, first of all, 
very, very like hard on Jason Todd. Like we got a line of dialogue that says, Oh, I killed myself because I was, I rushed into things like that's really harsh, but you know, it's in, uh, it's in spunk lettering. So it takes a bit of the edge off. Yeah. This is during the period where again, Jason's death resonates. I think reading now, if you came into Batman after Jason came back from the dead, you wouldn't realize how impactful Jason's death was. Jason's death was referenced a lot, and it was a really, really big deal. And now it's only really referenced in how it affected Jason. It's much less of how it affected everyone else around him. We saw it in year three, how much that the immediate after effects of it, but it remained something that haunted Bruce and haunted Tim to a degree. So that is, is a thing. And yeah, Tim is kind of hard on Jason there, but it's, it's a really important aspect of Tim becoming Robin is dealing with the specter quite literally almost in this case of but Jason not the Todd. specter. No, no. The specter, actually, you know, in all fairness, specter should have probably come after Bruce for getting a child killed because the specter is kind of a jerk. But this is a point where Tim's mother has just died. And Tim became Robin or volunteered to be Robin before his parents died. He didn't have that motivation. His mother dies here, completely unrelated to anything to do with Tim, and his father dies years and years later. Tim became Robin because he felt like Batman needed a Robin. He became Robin because it was the right thing to do. And boy, howdy, is that something the New 52 screws the pooch on. But we won't, we will someday get into the New 52 origin of Tim Drake. Hint, I don't like it. Oh, no. And if there's something that I am ever so glad they retconned out, it is that someday, you know what? Someday we will do the new 52 origins of Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, and Jason Todd in one episode. Here's a hint. None of them are good. Go no. All of them just completely miss the points of their... Maybe not. I, it's been a long time since I, I've been a long time since I read any of them. The Jason Todd one sticks out in my head, doesn't stick out in my head as much as either the Tim Drake or the Dick Grayson ones do, but both of them really screw the pooch. And correct me if I'm wrong, none of those stories are actually handled in Batman. No, they are Nightwing number zero, Red Hood and the Outlaws number zero, and Teen Titans number zero in the new 52. Ah, what a, just a weird concept of rebooting basically the line, except for Batman. And Green Lantern, because Jeff Johns was writing that. Well, that was, that was his baby. Right. But everybody else got a reboot. Everybody else got a reboot. Just not those two. It's, it's ridiculous. Vicky Vale, back here. Couple of Grant's characters pop up. Legs, the homeless person in God who's this sort of voice of the disenfranchised in Gotham who would show up fairly often 
and Lieutenant Kitch, who was a member of the GCPD that Grant used a whole bunch, pops up in this story. Again, this is when the Bat titles all sort of interacted and had this stable of supporting characters who showed up a lot, which I really kind of miss. Although we're getting a feel for it a bit with uh, Shadows of the Bat and Moriko Tamaki using all of the Bat family in a repertoire, repertory sort of vibe. Which makes me think that when that series wraps up, we need a Shadows of the Bat episode. Yeah. I might have mentioned this at one point when we were doing another Scarecrow story, but this is back when Scarecrow, the fear toxins didn't just bring out your worst fear. They brought out a targeted fear. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a boutique uh, collection. <laughs> which, which is fascinating and weird, but it's a neat little touch. I also like that Scarecrow here is at least just bitter. He's not whiny like he was in that other story. He's just... Oh, oh, they picked on me in high school. Oh, I was not popular. Oh, I got shoved into lockers. Here he's just sort of bitter about life, which I can deal with a little more from, you know, the bitter academic turned supervillain. I can get behind that way more than I can get behind the... I was bullied in high school and now I'm a supervillain. Uh, I, I will say the, uh, the boutique fear toxin leaves some interesting storytelling possibilities. Like does Batman need an antidote for each one of those formulations? And is like the bat antidote more effective uh, against some than others? Like if you take it with the, uh, the arachnid fear toxin, are the spiders maybe just like a little bit smaller? Are you able to look at that and say, like, Oh, Oh, that spider's not real. Oh, okay. So get this just some more possibilities there. And we should now uh, spend a little time on that that costume, the the new Robin costume that's introduced in this issue. It's a great costume. Oh yeah, you you could not have Robin in briefs forever. You needed to modernize that costume. I think it's a great look. Doesn't look totally out of place next to Batman. It does seem to be kind of a state of the art, like, hey, this is our modern take on the original. They don't change the colors. They don't change. It's not like a hard turn. Um, So I think it really works. I like it. It was designed by Neil Adams. He tried to redesign Robin back sometime before and it hadn't gone. But this time it did and it really works. I mean, A, one of the things about it that is a little different giving it the yellow inside of the cape, but a black back of the cape makes a lot of sense. It keeps the yellow in the cape, but it means if he wraps the cape around himself, it actually can hide him a little, which I think is a great visual. And yeah, I mean, the, the pants are helpful, the, the belt, but it maintains the bit down the, the center without making it look quite so... I don't know what how you describe it in the original version, but it's not laces anymore, but it maintains some of that. The the gloves, the boots, the stylized R symbol. It's a visually very recognizable costume. And it's definitely not, as uh, as Collins wrote in the last story, it's not a blouse anymore. 
Yes. And I mean, there have been variations on it since then. There's been some that have taken the green out of it and made it just red and black. Don't like that look. Is from Batman, the new Batman Adventures. Not as much of a fan of that. I like the, the green in the costume. The version that we're getting now that Tim's wearing is all three colors. It's again, it's, it's a slight modernization. It makes the belt pouchier, which is fine as Batman's belt has gotten to be more pouches and less those little vials and things that were there in the bronze age. It's a good costume. And as you said, it's earned, it's earned that it's different. There's a story reason for it to be different other than, Oh yeah, that costume doesn't really work anymore. Yeah, and and, and what is Batman going to do, right? Is he going to open up the Jason Todd memorial, take the costume out, give it to Tim Drake? That'd be really fucked up. Yeah, no, that that wasn't going to happen. No, uh, it, it was ego kid. Wear this, uh, wear this thing that this kid died in. Oh, and I didn't mention it, but I really feel like I should because it's it's Tim Drake, and I want to point it out. This story, again, sort of focuses on the fact that Tim's the detective Robin. Tim's the Robin who puts two and two together. Tim's the Robin who digs into the computer. Tim's the hacker Robin, which we don't get as much here. But that's that's always Tim's thing was the tech Robin, the smart Robin. And we're getting that even here, even at the foundations of the character. I mean, the foundation of the character, the lonely place of dying of him actually being able to deduce Bruce and Dick's identity. But that's always been central to that character and is central to him becoming Robin. But again, all in all, this is a really, I really like this story. Agreed. And so I think now that we've agreed on that. It's time to put identity crisis, but not that identity crisis on the big board. Top 20. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we get both good Batman and good robin in here i think i still like sleigh ride more sleigh ride is just so much friggin fun yeah uh putting it above haikatia is is hard that's going to be hard for any book yeah no i i think it's probably in the low part of that top 20 i might put it in right below sleigh ride right above tower of babel yeah, I can do that. Yeah, either that or right below Tower of Babel, right above It Only Takes a Night. Hmm. I really enjoyed Tower of Babel. Yeah, I think we'll put it in. Yeah, I think it goes after Tower of Babel. Okay. It's, it's our new number 19. So now we're going to hit our final story of the night. <laughs> this is Batman and Son. This is Batman Volume 1, number 655 to 658. The writer is Grant Morrison, pencils by Andy Kubert, inks by Kubert on 655, and Jesse Delperdang on 656 to 658. Colors by Dave Stewart and Guy Major on 658. Letters by Nick J. Napolitano and Rob Lee, just on 658. Edited by Peter J. Tomasi and Michael Seglane. Cover dates September to December of 2006. In this story, Talia al Ghul shows up and says, hey, Batman, you got a son. 
Take uh, it. No, wait, wait. She shows up with an army of, is it ninja man, man's bats or man bat ninjas? They are, I believe, ninja man bats. Yeah, because they are, because it's not men bats. <laughs> I think it's man bats. They're ninja man bats. Now, I got, hey, the ninja man bat, that's a cool idea. That's cool shit, right? Like, because what's scarier than a man bat? Uh, it's a man bat with a sword. <laughs> and, throw, and a bandolier of throwing stars. Don't forget the bandolier of throwing stars. They Seems de- like that would be cumbersome, you know, with your little bat claw things. But, hey, they worked it out. God bless them. You know, I got to say, when DC Direct was doing all sorts of action figures, I didn't get it. And I to this day regret not getting the Ninja Man Bat action figure because that would have been something that I would like to stand up on my desk and just have a Ninja Man Bat hanging out. But yes, so this is obviously the first arc of Grant Morrison's massive Uber run on Batman and the first in continuity modern appearance of Damian Wayne. You know, not to interrupt, oh, DC Direct, there, okay, there have been a couple of different Ninja Man Bat uh, action figures. eBay says uh, the DC Direct version is uh, $180. Oh, doctor. Yeah, not, not, no, right? No, not gonna do oh, that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I, you could get one uh, without the packaging for 20 bucks. Oh, see, that might be worth it. Because I don't need the packaging. I just want an Ninja Man bat. Uh, he's got the swords, right? Like, what else do you need? Damn right. Okay. But yeah, Ninja Man bats, Damian Wayne. Now, Damian's not supposed to be likable here. L- let's be fair. I don't think you're supposed to like Damian in this story. You're not supposed to like the Punisher either, but people do. True, but maybe Morrison did a better job of making his unlikable protagonist unlikable. Here's my fundamental problem with Damian Wayne. He's a little shit. And especially in this story, there's such a wild swing. Like in the span of a couple of pages, he goes from, oh, where's where's my laptop? Where's my video games? I need screen time. He goes from that to, oh, I'm going to kill Robin and take his place. Dad's going to be so happy with me. Like that. that, that ah! Like what, what the fuck kind of character is that? Playing devil's advocate. And I am playing devil's advocate is like, I will flat out say, well, I do not dislike Damien nearly as much as you do. He's still not my favorite. When in this story, when I read this story the first time, guess what? I fucking hated it. He beat the shit out of Tim Drake. <laughs> Guess what? I hated this fucking kid. But I, I hated this fucking kid because he beat the shit out of Tim Drake. I don't spend a lot of time with 10-year-olds. I never have. Don't have kids. Not going to have kids. But capriciousness and 10-year-olds do seem to go kind of hand in hand. This is true. But then also he's a trained assassin, right? It seems like part of your assassin training would be, okay, child, we must learn how to deny ourselves the pleasures that we want in order that we might be more efficient killing machines. 
Um, I mean, it's just that he's just all over the place and I can't, can't fucking stand it. And I can't stand his dialogue. It's like, oh, hello, father. You know, it's just, it's just fucking. I'm not going to argue a lot of those points because (laughs) Damien is a really unlikable character in this story. They go out of, they go out of their way. Morrison does to make him unlikable but there are moments where morrison gives a little bit of a glimmer that he is still a kid and he is still a kind of broken kid that moment at the end where talia is offering bruce come with me and you know come you know we can rule the world together with our eugenically created brilliant child and he's like no and she's like Tyler well you know you can take him or I can take him and she asks Damien what he wants and he's like well can't we all just be together that was sweet admittedly and it shows that there is something that a lot of this is bravado to cover up the fact that this is a kid who never had a childhood even more so than Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne at least had eight years of what is probably an idyllic childhood. Damien A was artificially aged, which they've had to point out because there's no way he could be 10 years old at this point to fit in any type of timeline. But anytime he was not being artificially aged and having knowledge pumped into his head, he was out there training and being treated like the heir to an assassin's empire. You can feel bad for him in the moments when he's not being a complete little shit. Yes, and apologies. This, is, this has been a long day. A lot of those same points remind me of which Batgirl is that? Cassandra. Cassandra. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That is, that is a character where you're like totally sympathetic because... You know, one, she's not a shit. <laughs> There's not a lot of this painful, stilted dialogue because, you know, her communication skills just aren't there because of that painful past. And that's a character that you have a lot more natural sympathy for. We're going to follow the Morrison run. I think we're not going to be doing one story an issue, uh, an issue, one story an episode, but. I want to try to do as much of the Morrison run in order as we can, because doing it out of order is going to not do anyone any favors, either for you on your initial read, me me and anyone out there rereading or reading for the first time along. The next Morrison story we'll do will be a little out of order, but not by much. And I really want to do a specific story for our Morrison spotlight episode that isn't the next Morrison story. This also explains some of the stuff that we had as a question from uh, Clown at Midnight, because this is what was referenced there with the fake Batman shooting Joker in the head. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was like an impetus for, you know, Batman to uh, to kind of like take it easy. Oh, oh, uh, Joker shot. You've you've put everybody else away, you know, to go on a vacation. Sure. I love the bits of Alfred sort of trying to remind 
him what it's like to be Bruce Wayne. Because this was after a period where he had really been letting the Bruce Wayne persona slip. And after a year of travel, this is right after 52. So he had spent a year away from Gotham with Dick Grayson and Tim Drake retracing his steps of becoming Batman to sort of rehone his skills and make a sort of peace with some of the shit that had gone down before that. So he hasn't had to be the Bruce Wayne, the public facing Bruce Wayne in quite a while. And so having him out there, it's like, Oh yeah, look at it with, you know, the ladies on his arms and that it's, it's charming to see him stumbling over that and Alfred coaching him on acting again. He mustn't growl so much, sir. Exactly. Oh, and we get a few bits that are the seeds of bits in the Morrison run. Uh, Jezebel Jett, who makes her first appearance here, is a character who will be important to the Morrison run. In that opening scene, there's graffiti in the background that says Zorinar. I saw that which will be a very important aspect of the Morrison run as we continue. One thing I will say that I really don't like, like at all, is the fact that Bruce says that Talia drugged him to get her pregnant with Damien. Don't like that. Yeah, the, the son of the demon origin is just much better. Like, just go with that. Yeah, I I don't entirely know why Morrison went that way with it. I will also say that, speaking of things that are kind of, uh, if there was one Batman villain that you you could get rid of and would not be missed for any number of reasons, the spook is definitely one of them. That is a character that, oh boy. That's a character that popped up a couple of times in, you know, modern stories. And then he shows up here and he gets his head cut off. And it's like, okay, never have to use that character again. Really rather Damien didn't kill a guy. But if it had to be, two to the head couldn't happen to a nicer guy. That is brutal. I mean, Damien right out of the gate is killing a man. And killing him in a pretty brutal manner. Oh, yeah. Decapitating him and then taking the head as a trophy. Pretty, pretty rough there. Now, here's something. You've in the past mentioned how generally dense Morrison's stories are. This one is much more action oriented. Yes, I, I will agree with that. What was what was the last Morrison story we read? The last Morrison story that oh um New World Order. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That one that one was I won't say a slog, but it was, as I said, dense. This is not that. This is much more bam, 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 ninja man bat, bam, 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 you know, uh Damien cutting a guy's head off. Like this, this, this pace does continue, you know, fairly briskly. That second issue, which is basically a fight sequence from nearly page one in this gallery 
of Roy Lichtenstein-esque comic panel fine art is a phenomenal use of that art in the background. The sound effects that are in those pieces of art that then work with the action going on in the foreground is such a great concept. And I'm fairly certain that Morrison works from a full script. So I have to imagine that was in whatever they gave to Andy Kubert, but Kubert sells the hell out of it. And Kubert does a great job on the art in these issues. It's really a great looking series of panels and a great looking set of issues across the board. Oh shit. I've got, I've got to find I've got to find the panel. Where is it? I love Bruce Wayne's like commentary about the art. Like yes. all all this comic book stuff is way too highbrow for me. And I swear to god, there's some line in here he literally says like content or something like that. Maybe I'm just imagining it, but it's I can't ex- precisely figure out what it is, but I feel like there's some commentary on comic books in the comic book. It, that that would be a very ah, Morrison. Aha, there we go. If there's one thing I hate, it's art with no content. There we go. <laughs> like, like they're just fucking showing off right there. Like, what what just a nice little joke that is. Let it never be said that Morrison won't get in a little bit of commentary when they can. There's a lot of groundwork for what is coming in this run here. This is a, oh, I, I also, by the way, have to add, when you first see Kirk Langstrom, the you know, man bat, you know, not in man bat form when he's in London, he's wearing a weird ass like Victorian cape. Was that fashionable at the time? I don't know why he's wearing this, this cape while he's running around. It's not mm. a bad look, but no, but yeah, that is a bit strange. It's also an interesting thing to see Morrison writing Tim. Morrison doesn't write a ton of Tim. Tim appears in this arc and in the Club of Heroes arc, which we'll be covering in our Morrison spotlight. And so they really sort of have to do a lot with this character in those couple of appearances and seeing Tim being a little bitter about Bruce's immediate acceptance of Damien, especially after Bruce officially adopted Tim legally as his son, makes for an interesting little bit of character work for the character. I mean, he's and never... Damien does, you know, try to kill him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but Tim was a little bit harsh before that. But yeah, after that, it's completely justified. After that, it's completely justified. We also see a little bit of the uh, uber prepared Batman here with Batman having a bat rocket handy. But, you know, I- I'm okay with wacky bat vehicles. That- that's fun. We also get the Joker copter, which was also in the first story we didn't mention. But yeah. Joker's, Joker's you know, helicopter with his big smile shows up in this one. 
Morrison knows their Batman continuity. You, you will absolutely never see a Grant Morrison story that does not have some sort of weird nod to previous Batman. The one character that I really do think gets the short end of the stick in Morrison's usage of that character is Talia. Maybe rereading this whole run, I'll feel differently, but I always felt like Talia comes off as much more one note in this than she does in other stories. She's much more the heir to Rachel Ghoul than she is in other versions. This is what sort of set her down the, the super villain path versus more conflicted character as she usually was before this. Yeah, the character was much more nuanced than Son of the Demon. And while she you know, worked with Lex Luthor and was working with the secret society of supervillains before Infinite Crisis, she was never quite as mustache twirly for want of a better term as she is here she's very much super villain talia in this story join with me and we shall rule the world for an eternity yeah like that's that's fucking palpatine shit right there like that's that that's not nuanced or interesting at all not from a jedi <laughs> it, uh, I'm curious as we go through this run how we see Talia played because I remember the end of the run and her feeling very much in this super villain mold but I want to see if there is more nuance than I remember there being but we'll get to that and we'll get to Damien's evolution as a character as we hit more of these Morrison stories. But mm. for now, uh, mm. Mm. I feel like I'm being tricked into like enjoying this, but we'll see. We'll, for we'll now, see. it's time to put the Damien Wayne origin story on the big board. So, where are we going to put this in relation to other Morrison stories? Right now, I mean, our highest Morrison story is Arkham Asylum, and it, it's this one's not winding up up there. Then we have New World Order down at 23, and then The Clown at Midnight at 38. Where does this fall for you in relation to The Clown at Midnight? I think Clown at Midnight was more interesting. I think it, as, as an experiment, as something different, it's... It's more novel. I appreciate the, uh, as we've talked about, the big swing that they attempt in Clown at Midnight. And at the end of the day, if I had to choose between rereading this story and rereading Clown at Midnight, I would go with Clown at Midnight. My, my hatred for Damian Wayne is so pure and so hot and so eternal. I, I was thinking more in relation to Son of the Demon. Uh, which is we've got that at 46. Okay. Um, so I am I am bearish on this story, but I will I will entertain possibilities because no. the uh the night is long. No, no, I mean this is the very foundation of Morrison's much more 
ambitious run. And while it is a fun story in a lot of places, it is not a particularly ambitious story. It's very, let me show you that I can write a Batman as superhero story before I spend the next 30 issues deconstructing the the superhero of Batman and building this big crazy story otherwise that Morrison is going to be doing. I think in between Clown at Midnight and Son of the Demon is where did you say Son of the Demon was? 46. Four, uh, yeah, Clown at Midnight is 38, yeah. Son of the Demon is 46. How do you feel about 42? That puts it in between Riddler in the Dark, which was equally sort of a very simple Batman doing Batman stuff story, and Overdrive, the YA OGN. I think this is much more of a Batman story than that, obviously, because there's actual Batman. And the Batman-ness of this has some really cool stuff. It's got Ninja Man Bats, which is a great concept. It's got Batman doing some, having some really fun Batman moments. But the, the fact that Damien is so unlikable, this story could wind up higher if someone was looking at it in the wider arc of Damien and, and or came in liking Damien more. But I can willingly accept that the origin of Damien Wayne is not going to wind up higher on our list. And I, I mean, I wouldn't have put it much higher than that to begin with. I, I kind of like it around there. But I, again, be willing to, to move it up or down a little bit from 42. Without Ninja Man Bats, I'd probably put this outside of the top 50. But between them and the gallery scene, it does bump it up a bit. And I'd say the new 42 is a good spot. All right. I think that then that's where we go. Well, Will, you made it through another Damian Wayne story. Oh, God damn it. I hope we take a week off from Damian Wayne. (laughs) I believe we will. Thank Uh, God. Because next week, uh, we're going to be looking at three Batman stories written by Black writers to celebrate uh, Black History Month and with guest Corey Smith, writer at ComicsXF, to help this podcast look at these in a critical way that isn't just two middle-aged white guys reading superhero comics. Oh, oh, middle-aged. Well... One middle-aged oh. white guy and one slightly younger than middle-aged white guy. <laughs> I will, I will accept the whiteness, but man, middle-aged that hurts. I, yeah, you're not. That hurts. I tend to forget that it's not just me and Dan. We, we, we've both willingly <laughs> accepted that we are somewhat older and thus are middle-aged. But uh. nonetheless, yeah, we're going to be getting uh, stories by John Ridley, by Brian Edward Hill, and I'm very excited. A story by the legend Dwayne McDuffie. Oh, that's going to be some good reading. I'm looking forward to it. And looking forward to uh, having Corey in the show, too. Absolutely. So we'd like to say... And and having number 69 on the big board. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Nice. Nice. 
we'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June is Dead, Long Live June, Joshua Wheel, Zach Rabaroff, and Abigail Hartball for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on ComicsXF.com, dropping Thursday mornings. And you can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLast1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm out of here. Good night, Miami. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.